This episode was a real bummer. It was a real sad one. What happens? <laughs> I feel like everyone watching this is familiar with the Sacklers and Purdue and the opioid crisis of the early 2000s and the ramifications of that. If you've seen The Crime of the Century, that's basically what the show is, but the undramatized form of it. How do you take a story that's been told so many times, make it fresh, entertaining, because if you just want the story, you can go watch the HBO documentary and do no harm the PBS series, Heroin, that's a Netflix documentary about it, written off the John Oliver segment. Like the opioid crisis has been talked about ad nauseum, but it, it was a big deal. It still is like the ramifications of doctors over prescribing and pill mills and just the amount of overdoses and crime and addiction that spiked from the late 90s to early 2000s. It's, it's a story that's worth telling. But when I first walked into Dope Sick, I was like, this is an all-star cast, but how are they going to find an audience again for the same story? Well, I know that Danny Strong was interested, he's the creator of this show, was interested in adding the layer of kind of different time periods. And I wanted to know how that worked out because when you have something like Ordinary Joe, the time periods are basically the full story arc for that. When you have something like Cruel Summer, that's kind of the mystery. That's why they're playing with time. But how does Dope Sick do it in such a way that actually works? Well, with Dope Sick, it's unlike Cruel Summer where you don't have to be keeping time with things. Like, you don't have to be like, okay, we're not back in 92. We're back in 93. We're back in 94. In this, the story that you're following is more the characters. So you can tell where the characters are in their story because they, they still go in order. Like you're not seeing something from the doctor earlier and then something later on and then back to earlier. So is it chronological? It's chronological for each specific person. So it, so it literally follows them. Like, what like it flips times, but it's following the prosecutors and the DEA in their own timeline, the Sacklers in their own timeline, the doctor in his own timeline, the minor and the victims in their own timeline, and the pharma reps in their own timeline. So like you don't get confused because every story is being told chronologically, but you just flip between the times that they're being told. Yeah, there were. I know that uh, Danny Strong said he wanted him. He was inspired by the movie Traffic. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, long I, time ago. I think it does something similar with kind of its story, but he was inspired to do I that. I think it won an Academy Award, didn't it? It did. It was definitely nominated. And a lot of people thought, oh, Dope Sick, he must be doing kind of a, uh, like adapting it from the book Dope Sick that came out in 2018. And although Beth Myers, I think that's her name, that's Beth Macy, that's the person who wrote the book, was in the writer's room when they were uh, planning out how they were going to do this television show. It's actually not inspired by that. Um, but Danny Strong said that he read like two or three books and then he was like, I have to just start writing about this. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to do it. And from the looks of it, it seems like a lot of people are enjoying this show or maybe it's gotten critical acclaim, basically. Well, what was she doing in the writer's room if she's not part of the story? Obviously, she was a valuable resource to have. So she's just an expert. Yeah. Because this show, it's kind of like Dark Waters, that Mark Ruffalo movie from a long time ago. It dramatizes stuff that's real. So like the DuPont uh, chemical dumping that happened in like rural america the other movies i compare it to would be like three billboards unbelievable chernobyl all things that actually happened but then they took these characters and they kind of fictionalized them a little bit specifically unbelievable let's talk about that because the girl from there yeah, plays a very similar character in this as in someone a victim who by the end of this episode specifically the fourth one pseudo addiction 
you just feel terrible for. Everything you named, uh, like Dark Waters and all the TV shows and movies, they're all kind of like supposed to get you a little bit mad at the system. Does it make you angry? I know it said it made you sad. But. Yeah, but this episode was supposed to show how, because we do a time jump. The first three episodes all sort of exist within, I don't know, a few months of each other, right? Like the, the person who, the doctor's life doesn't change too much until this fourth episode. Then there's a big time jump. And so all our main characters that we've gotten to know everything's gotten worse for them. Are they, they're all older though, right? Like, is there like a lot of makeup that you see them in or is it just No, I'm lives? talking about like a six month time oh, jump. okay. Like the Americans do or Halt and Catch Fire, something like that. Like a tiny time jump, but still yeah. significant enough to see them all heading in the wrong trajectory. Do you all see them about to mess up their lives and then it's like six months in and they're just completely in it? You see the seed being planted in the previous three episodes, but now you get like the full fruition of what happens. I'll go into each episode or <laughs> each person specifically, but the first flash that we actually see isn't from any of our main main characters. It's actually from a side character, Elizabeth Ann, who we only see, I think, at the beginning of the first episode or the second episode when um, Randy and Rick are the two people leading the investigation for the prosecutors to try to go after the Sacklers. They're later on in the series, but like that's they're the future timeline and they're just trying to figure out how it got so bad and trying to hold the people responsible. Are they the heroes practically? Kind of. I think Sarsgaard is one of them. But in an earlier episode, Rick, I think, walked up to a car that had its hazards on outside like a baseball game or something where he was refereeing and there was a girl inside and we didn't know who she was. She drove off later on or like she just asked if he wanted a blowjob for money, basically. So she's a hooker. No, she was like all drugged out. Like oh, she just okay. needed money for drugs, right? Oh, so she's one and of the patients. And that's who Elizabeth Ann is. No, so she, what? She must have been one of the patients. No, there's she wasn't. Oh. Uh, so uh, we see her backflash. This is the first time we actually really get a backflash for any character because it's usually, as I said, going in order. The first time she takes Oxycontin, which is at a party where they grind it up and then she snorts it. One of her friends at the party who actually encouraged her to do it, this guy, he overdoses they trip over his body, she screams, then they don't take him to a hospital because they're afraid of like what would happen then. They just try to wake him up by putting a fish down his pants and then they just leave him there, which I think is based on a true story. I don't think they just made that one up, but then they had just showed it, they dramatized it. And then uh, that was the only scene in the entire show that actually didn't follow like the time jump that I was talking about, where every other character, so goes, you see them later on. So it goes back. That was just the intro of this episode to kind of show you how serious it was. Like, all the kids were taking it in the school, half the kids, because there was a pill mill in their town. But these are, like, legal drugs. That's the thing. They were prescribed, but people had such easy access to them that the kids in the communities would just all get their hands on them and take them. So, like, from their parents and just other things? As from well. their parents, from stealing them, from the pill mills. There were break-ins at the pharmacies all over. And part of the Sacklers' whole uh, idea was that they were going to make sure every pharmacy carried this. Is that the first time that they kill someone off in the show? No. Like, off-screen, they're always talking about overdoses. But in the third episode, Betsy who isn't strung out at this point. She's just trying to quit her drugs, right? So she stops taking them cold turkey. And you're just not supposed to do that with opioids because they mess with your brain too much and they will cause you to be disoriented. And so she goes to work in the mines. She causes a huge accident, which ends up killing a bunch of people. So she's responsible for it. Does she go to jail? Yes, but she doesn't. She didn't know what was happening to her. And neither did anybody else, really, because she had gotten hurt earlier. And that was why she started taking painkillers. And the doctor, who we follow, Michael Keaton, he is the one who 
starts giving her those painkillers thinking that they were only going to do good and that they were it was impossible to get addicted to these narcotics so he's not like a bad doctor he no, just no, no. Is doing in fact does, right the farm rep who kind of seduces or tricks him into uh thinking that the drugs were good you have to understand that the story that they're trying to tell is that in the 90s purdue did a bunch of shady shit. Like they created shadow companies and stuff and fake studies and they coerced the FDA and they had control of basically everything so that they could trick the educational programs for doctors and medicine to think that pain was an actual impediment that had to be treated and it had to be treated with Oxycontin and their, their, their company's product, right? right? But like they would trick doctors by sending out pharma representatives and we follow Billy Cutler who is that guy from Midsummer? Right, yeah. The, the main guy, Will Poulter. Thank you. So every character that you've gotten to know from the Doctor to Betsy to even Billy, like every single person's life has kind of gotten worse. Billy is the exception because he's gotten rich because of being a farmer rep, but he's realizing more and more that what he's done is sell a drug that is, as the Doctor puts it, poison. Um... The first scene after that overdose is the prosecutors. So they're bringing, they, they realize the only way that they can go after Purdue, right, mm -hmm. is to charge them with criminal misbranding, which is to say that the drug that they're selling is misbranded and it actually wasn't 1% of people getting addicted to it. It was actually much higher. Hence, most doctors wouldn't actually be prescribing their patients if they knew that. And the time release mechanism that the company had so lauded and said, this is why our drug is so safe is actually just bullshit because anybody can take it off and just with their saliva and then dash it up and then snort it up. What you know? would the, what would the punishment for that be? Would it just be like a huge fine when people go to There'd jail? There'd be a fine. And then they would immediately like take it out of a lot of pharmacies and doctors would stop prescribing it. And it would just slow all the addictions and overdoses and crime that's been happening and shooting up over the last couple of years in the early two thousands. So that's what they were, were trying to accomplish, but mostly going after the company and the Sacklers specifically. Like they had tried to talk to the DEA about it. They tried to go to Bridget, who is another person sort of working on the same front, but she's working in diversion, which is a part of the FBI, I think. And so she's also going after the Sacklers. But you see like multiple parts of government trying to tackle the same issue in different ways. Anyways, Does that work like well, Randy and Rick are getting closer and closer, and we'll talk about that later on in the episode. But you get that sort of political and government central side of the show, which I thought was going to be the majority of it. But then you also get sort of the the personal aspect to it. You see, we have Michael Keaton playing the doctor, the hometown doctor who takes care of everybody. Uh, you have Betsy, who is literally just someone who worked in the mines and she gets caught up in the, this whole thing and then she gets addicted to opioids. You have Billy Cutler, who is just an innocent sort of farm rep who actually isn't that innocent because he knows that by the end what he's selling and what he's getting rich off of is seducing doctors into thinking that they're selling a good drug and just gaining money from it however so he's, so he's actually evil though he's willfully ignorant like he knows the truth especially by the end of this episode because his first client was really the doctor michael keaton who he convinced that oxycontin was such a safe drug and great drug right right yeah but this time jump that we were talking about happens and by now Michael Keaton is addicted to Oxycontin because at the and end of the third episode, 
At the, well, he didn't just start taking them. At the end of the third episode, he gets the call that Betsy had caused an accident in the mine and he was going to rush back to see what was going on. He probably would have realized that Oxycontin was to blame and like treated it there. But he gets into an accident himself on the way back. And the doctor there prescribes him Oxycontin. And so he's like, oh, okay, I'll take it. And it's like a massive dose because that's another thing that Purdue was doing. They just yeah, they were started, overdosing, right? They were starting to up the doses. They were saying, no one can get addicted. What you're seeing is pseudo-addiction, the name of the episode. So that just means prescribe more. No. So by this six month jump or whenever it is, the doctor is fully trying to like cut, cut himself off, go cold turkey. And what we hear in the overtone, the narration in one of Randy and Rick's trials is that that is uh, any narcotic, any opioid actually screws and changes your brain chemistry. So you can't quit cold turkey like you could with some other things, like with other drugs. Specifically, your body will start to shut down on you. And you'll start feeling the most pain, the most deathly pain that you possibly can. So you just go shaky, sweaty, fidgety, itchy, uh, and it just won't stop until you get your hands on pills. So by the end, Michael Keaton has smashed his hand back in through a uh, glass thing that he had kept his last bottle of pills in and thrown the key away and taken it out so he could get like his pills. And then he starts dancing with his dead wife because he's hallucinating. No, but you see her, I assume. On At first I was like, oh, is he Odin? Like, is this one of those things where you see him dancing with his dead wife and then they go back to the couch and he's just sitting there like completely dead. But no, he's just dancing by himself. So he's still alive. And I think from now on, this might be the most depressing episode that they show. It could get worse for him or it could be on that slope where he like is able to wean himself off because that is the only way you can get yourself clean from opioids like this. And uh, if you if you're addicted and then maybe try to help and help the DEA or whatever. Does this I mean, the tone sounds like you were saying depressing, but like Dr. Death a little bit, especially when you're talking about court trials and them trying to be like, this is not something that should have happened. Well, so far we haven't seen any evil evil doctors like prescribing the oh well actually we did we did specifically see an evil doctor in this episode when betsy betsy's storyline is so sad uh again the unbelievable girl her performance is so similar why does she always have to play the victim (laughs) every time i see her face now in a movie even if it's like a happy movie i get sad but book smart does she doesn't play the victim (laughs) I know, but but I don't know. It's now it's like built in. It's like the I want to compare it to the Maid series, where the main character in that said that she would, had been typecast. It feels like she's getting <laughs> typecast. Big roles, but still typecast as this person who is just innocently taken advantage of. Because in that one, she was sexually assaulted uh, and raped. And this one, first of all, she is in a rural town, as in a mining community, where she's actually gay. And her family would turn against her if she came out. And then she gets into this accident in the mine. She wants to leave with her girlfriend and go somewhere else. But then she gets the accident and she has to still work. Otherwise, she's not going to have enough money. So that's when she starts taking the Oxycontin. But then she tries to go cold turkey herself. And that just causes the same problems that it did with Michael Keaton. And so after after she causes the accident, then just everything's gone wrong for her. She's, like, living in a bad place, I assume. No, like, her drug dealer drives up to the gas station she's working at, and she jumps inside, and he talks about going to Florida with her because they're going to pill mills and just getting as much oxy as possible. And she's gone from, like, this innocent girl who lived with her family who was trying to come out to, like, completely having really no relation with her family. Like, she walks back into her house, and they're having a full intervention for her. Even her dad and her mom are like, we don't 
care who you like. Like before, they definitely cared. <laughs> they were thinking about like sending her to conversion. But now that they camp. see that she's taking pills. But now that they see that she's literally on death's door, they're like trying to say, hey, we just want to save your life here. And it was so sad to see that moment. And then she goes to AA at the end of the, the, the whole episode, right? And she's sitting there and she tells her story. And again, just like unbelievable, super sad. You're feeling really bad for her. There are people around her who are all trying to be supportive, especially this old lady who's like, you can say whatever you want. She goes to the bathroom. Old lady follows her, immediately sells her Oxycontin. Screw that old lady. <laughs> Shit fuck old lady. I hate that old lady. She, she yeah, that, was, that was infuriating because she, of course, takes the Oxy. And then um, Michael Keaton does something similar. He also ends up going to the same drug dealer that um, Betsy <laughs> is so, driving around with but so i think his name's walt he's just the drug dealer in town he's a vet um and uh then the only other scene i left out was when they actually went to florida to get more pills uh the doctor tried to say hey if you can't afford these then we can just like have sex over here and uh, betsy was like i can afford the pills but whatever it's so, like called heroin and it sounds like it like it reminds me a lot of show me a hero uh -huh. where we see the girl who is happily married gonna have a daughter with her um husband and then he gets like shot by the police or something, and then he becomes or she be she has to raise the kid alone. She can't afford that, and she becomes a drug addict. I remember that, yeah. And then the dad even found like a pill inside their apartment, right? Exactly, yeah. That was the storyline I'm talking about. So yeah, I don't know what's going to happen to Betsy, but her storyline is following sort of Elizabeth Ann's storyline, um, where they both just become super big junkies. And well, I don't know what's going to happen later on in the episodes, but it doesn't seem like like who do you think it's going to work out worse for? Like out of all the storylines that you are following, like I don't know how Betsy gets clean. Like even her girlfriend, her ex girlfriend, has left to the place that they were going to move with without her. She came back for the intervention, and um, it, that was super awkward. <laughs> and as for the doc, he's canceled all those appointments for that day. And uh, he's looking all purple and stuff. And that's when Billy shows up again because we see him in the future again. He's rich and he's doing well six months later. Like he's found a bunch of big fish clients, docs that are just going to be selling Oxycontin like crazy. And he goes back to his first one who he's had a good relationship with. So it's sort of like a father-son type thing that he's, he's kind of tricked. But the doc is on to him now, even though he's, like, fully addicted. And so Billy kind of sneaks in to be like, hey, doc, like, I I'm sure we can work this out. It's it's this thing called pseudo-addiction. Like, we see Richard, who Richard Sackler is really the main villain of the show. He comes in there and he hires this new aggressive expert to kind of rebuff the claims that everybody's making about the addiction being a higher level and that it's actually pseudo-addiction. That and, and he just hires a quack, basically, to come in there and lead the brigade against the people who want to shut down Oxycontin from being prescribed, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, that person then puts out pamphlets for all the pharma reps to give out. And Billy is the pharma rep and he's going to the doctor and the doctor's like, yeah, I, I said it already, but you're selling poison, Billy. And uh, that's basically where Billy just starts to argue with him. And then he just punches him in the face and like kicks him out of the office. And Billy knows it at this point, because then he also sees another representative, pharma representative getting cut or fired because she questioned how ethical what they're doing is so they basically have ties all around like this is one of something where they're going against a powerhouse like is it one of those things that, like sometimes you see in movies i think that's more that what they're encountering with Ran that randy and rick are encountering because again they're the prosecutors who are looking at 
trying to find evidence to bring to the judge in order for them to allow them to see all the records. Because they did that in the third episode and they had it granted. That was the climax of the third episode, the ending part, where they actually showed the proof that there was some malfeasance going on here and stuff. And the judge was like, yeah, absolutely. You can have all the records from Purdue. And Purdue did the same thing that they did in Dark Waters, where they brought up a ton of cars of evidence and just too much to go through for two guys, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... We- and And my point is that Randy and Rick then... At the end of this episode, throughout, they are looking for the article which started this whole Oxycontin being allowed everywhere, the whole 1% idea that people don't actually get addicted. And so they, tr- they try to find it. They can't find it online. It's called the Porter Jack Study, and it was in the New England Journal of Medicine. This took a lot of research by them. And so they kept on looking through different New England journals of medicine from the 1980s. They can't find it still. Then they called the place up. They find out that it was written by a Herschel Jack, and it was actually not a study, but a letter. And so then they find the letter that was written in like 1980, and it was five sentences. And that was what every medical school and all the pamphlets and everything has been like referencing forever and trying to prove this thing, the thing that's on the front part. And even Herschel Jack had no idea what this was being used for. It's not a legitimate study. It was five sentences that he just wrote in this journal. But with all that evidence, with all that evidence, two people were able to go through that and make that those many connections. Well, that wasn't where they got. They didn't get it from the evidence. They just questioned. So where is this study that keeps on being referenced? actually come from i'd like to read it and it wasn't available online and no one could find it no medical journals could find it like that's where they finally tracked it down and then they expressed that in court and it's also the thing that like russell portnoy used in his pain book that he put out to push for more oxycontin so like everything ties back to purdue even the pain scale thing little guys with a happy face yeah right that's owned by Purdue, that company that owns that. Except it doesn't say Purdue on the thing. It's a shadow company that's secretly owned by them. So, but is it is it does it is it easy to get lost in the episodes at all? Like the one thing you wanted to do, Danny Strong, was make it. Complex. I'm invested in all the storylines. The only negative I'll say about each character is that they really tried to give so much information. They almost gave everybody a relationship. Bridget, who's Rosario Dawson from like Luke Cage and stuff. She she has a great line in this episode where she also gets the head meeting with Purdue. Finally, movie like she meets with the FDA, finds out that they are being controlled by uh, Purdue, and then she meets directly with Purdue. Richard Sackler doesn't show up, but like some of the attorney doesn't, some of his attorneys do, and so does the aggressive expert. But before they can even get into their pitch, she's shutting them down and she's like, why don't you tell pharmacies to stop selling your drug, at least in some places, to slow down this crime rate and stuff like that. And they're like, we'll take it under advisement. And that's just their straight answer for everything. So uh, I'll ask you this first. What do you think of the episode? What did you rate? One to ten. And then I'll ask what what would you give this show? For the 80th time, this episode was super sad. It was a bummer of an episode. It was depressing, but I think it was a good episode. So I would give it a nine. I would give the series an eight because I've heard the story so many times. That's my only like really complaint about it. It's it's entertaining. At times in the first three episodes, especially, it was funny. They had great back and forth dialogue. So it does uh, have humor. I didn't actually know that. Not like... Uh, knock knock joke humor but definitely sarcasm and some of the characters are just super smart and so like situational and it, it's it's it just plays very well like the writing is really good in it so that type of humor but 
in this last episode, it wasn't about any sort of humor. It was all about just seeing the pain that this stuff had caused. Yeah. And so, I, so as a whole, I would give the episode or the series an eight, though, because I know what to expect. The only thing I don't know what to expect is specifically the doctor and Betsy and what's going to happen to them. I can make guesses. I can say the doctor isn't going to die because if they were going to kill him, this would have been a perfect time for it. But um, I think he's going to turn coat because he was being used as by the company to almost uh, promote it even further. Like every time they would invite different doctors to their like getaways. Um, and then like give them free stuff all the time. They would ask like the doctor to come up and share stories of people who had um, benefited from Oxycontin. And for a while, for the, for the first few like weeks, I guess, his patients had like, they felt great, like super well, yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, that's but then, but then the But then the pain just came back and they needed more and more. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's got a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes, 8.6 on IMDb. Um, but the first two episodes were directed by Barry Levinson. I think the last two episodes will be directed by the creator, Danny um, Danny Strong. Uh, did we talk about the Journal of Pain? Because I believe Beth Macy, the person who wrote the book, actually had a cameo as like one of the editors of that. Who exactly are the Journal of Pain? Yeah, I don't specifically remember a journal line. did it seem though so it, it doesn't seem like you learned much from it you're just saying it was kind of like oh well no you're made. tricked it's definitely one of those trick education shows but that the, the, the good ones not like one of those ones where uh the ter- teacher turns it on and then you look away and you're just like oh man well the yeah. amount of the, the amount of stuff they're trying to get me to like write down i right mean now. beth macy said that she wanted to kind of bring this story to a younger audience and that's the reason why they did it in such a way like by getting the a cast and uh and like to going to hulu like a cautionary tale type thing just trying to get the information out there yeah and again, the only two negatives, one is I think they concentrate a little bit too much on the random relationships from the divorce and dating and all that. Like I'm good with Betsy's because, yeah, you can throw in an LGBTQ storyline in there and seeing her girlfriend leave her and uh, and go to the place that she had been wanting to go was that was sad. But like, again, with Bridget um, and then we get sort of um, <laughs> we get everybody's dating life. From Bridget to the doctor to Billy's, like, Billy's one is funny, though, because that guy's, like, like, a comedian. I don't know. He's definitely supposed to be sort of... The comic relief? Well, he's he's asking out this girl the whole time in the first three episodes, and she's constantly denying him, but, like, it's... Eh. She's just another farmer rep. <laughs> but uh, she has, like, no soul. And Billy, you can tell, probably does have a soul. I think it's said that when all the symptoms of someone trying to go cold turkey and they're not able to do it because of, like, again, the chemical process of it being almost impossible to do it that way is called dope sick. And that's what Betsy was in the third episode when she caused the mining accident by not telling the person. Because the person's like, hey, how's our levels looking on the gas or whatever? I forgot which gas it was. Methane? Yes, probably methane. So that's obviously going to catch flame if they're causing sparks. So she looks at the gauge. She can't see it because she's so, like out of it like just she's with the... she's so like she's in such pain i guess so she kind of just blurrily like says yeah it's fine and then oh yeah geez. and so she is directly responsible she probably feels that she's holding that guilt now she has this evil lady who's supplying her the drugs and her family is it's just it's a terrible situation wow, just for like it, yeah worse upon worse upon worse but the company's still around right Purdue? Yeah, they make drugs all the time. Like, they, they got slapped in the wrist by the end of this. Like, that's not really a spoiler, the fact that their company... Just like with uh, Dark Waters and um, uh, DuPont. Like, they got hit with a bunch of lawsuits, but that didn't really push them away. In the end, the water is still, like, 99% of people in the world 
have these different Teflons and plastics in their bodies at different levels, and they're not very safe to have <laughs> in your body, uh, thanks to them. And then also, like, with this stuff, like, we're going to be dealing with ramifications even if they're built out the yin-yang for it, and they're not going to go under, so. Well, that is a sad way to end, <laughs> I guess. Anyways, that's It's a about. sad show, but I'm going to continue to watch it. Uh, you should, too. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.